0: Well, here we go. I know you guys are excited. Your favorite part of your week when you get to watch a montage of guardrails. It's so exciting to be engaged with public transportation. And so uh, I know that, uh, that, that you know, that, sorry that that's, that's the climax right there. It's just all downhill from there. Uh, no pun intended. I don't know. Anyway, but good morning and welcome. If I missed you earlier, if you just popped in online or you just walked in, my name is Wayne. I'm the pastor here at Downtown Community, and we are in the middle of a series called Guardrails, and we're, and we're looking at this, you know, this visual of the guardrails that we see in life and on the road, and they're actually on the subway tracks as well, believe it or not, and, and we're looking to, to kind of take this, this picture and apply it in our own lives and understand that in our own lives, we need protection. That there are places that if we don't have something there personally, we will veer off the edge. And so guardrails in real life protect us, right? So they do two things. One is they protect us. And you may ever, never really may have thought about it, but they also direct you. And so if you've got a bad storm happening, uh, many times you look, where are the boundaries? What's safe for me? And they will guide you. They'll help you know what's going on. And so guardrails do this. Guardrails are designed to minimize the damage that you would take. And so the damage done, if you hit one, you spin out of control, and you dang it, like you're, you're mad. You hit a guardrail, you've got damage on your car, or whatever's going on, but it's minimal. It's very little in comparison to what could have happened if you had just kept going and gone down this huge, huge ditch or a cliff or whatever it may be. You could lose your car, you could lose your life, or if you went into oncoming traffic, the damage would be huge. And so we're looking to, to establish that kind of idea, but in our personal lives, to establish personal guardrails. A personal guardrail is something that dings your conscience when you're heading into a danger zone and it helps you change the behaviors that you have. And so guardrails then are a personal rule. It's a personal rule. And so it's, it's, it's boundaries that you put in place. And that means that I'm not necessarily judging you. I just can't do this for myself. And it's something that you hold yourself to, not you hold, not something you hold other, or other people. And where you, where you put guardrails in is going to differ from person to person because some things for you will lead you into danger or lead you into destruction more than someone else. And so when it comes to placing guardrails because of this, it's not easy because culture kind of just mocks us when we put boundaries in place. And you'll have friends that will think that you're judging them and all these different things. And so it's hard to actually have these boundaries because even yourself, you don't want to limit yourself. We want the painted lines on the road. But what guardrails do is they, they keep us from regret. In fact, as you think about 2022, and you may have goals that you're setting and things that you would like to accomplish, or you look back on last year and you wondered why this thing didn't happen, And what we find is in becoming a better you and improving your life and setting goals and professionally, financially, with relationships, whatever it may be, there are underlying things that usually get in your way that have nothing to do about your professional career or something else. Many times there's deeper things going on in our hearts, and we need to learn to do this. In fact, you wish the most important people in your life had guardrails. You wish they did. You want me to have guardrails. You, want, you wish your parents growing up, your father or your mother, had had guardrails. You long for the most significant people that influence you. You wish that they did. And the same is true as you. There's others that love you and depend upon you. And they would love that you would establish this in your life. So as we engage this year, we're looking to this. And we're just observing our lives and engaging this. Last week, we talked about relationships. We talked about specifically friendships and people who influence you, your associates, And how influential they are and how important it is for to put this in our lives, whether it's other parents in our lives or, you know, others that do this or influencers on Instagram or, or, you know, friends that you live by or coworkers or your neighbors. People influence us in significant ways, and we make crazy decisions with debt and for, you know just whatever you may do. You compromise because of their influence, and we especially have to learn to do it there. And So if you missed that, you can go back. It's on our website. It's on our podcast, and you can check it out there. So today, I wanted to engage a very important conversation that's about money about finances, and this is a a really important place for you and I to have guardrails, and so just to kind of help us understand this, I'm going to share with you, kind of follow along here, a a scenario that could happen, and this is a little strange in the city, but imagine like a seven or eight-year-old kid is walking down the sidewalk, and they find a $5 bill, they're like, oh wow, they got money, and they have no idea how much this is. Like, I remember my daughter, Kat Sepp, years and years ago. She was really young. She must have been like six years old. And the, the person, the neighbor below us, literally gave her $20 a day. And she did four days, and you know, we, we helped her do it. But she had $80. And the and the, and the neighbor gave her four four twenty dollar bills. This is insane, by the way. I was like, this is. But anyway, and she goes, I got four dollars. You know, she's all excited. I was like, no, 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 no. Like kids don't understand the value of money. So I went and cashed it in and got eighty one dollar bills. I was like this is how much money it is. She's like, whoa. Anyway, so a kid on the sidewalk finds five dollars. They don't know. And so they, they run to the corner store. And, and if you're a parent in the city, you're like, this would not happen. There's no kids running at seven years old at the corner store. But anyway, so they just, just bear with me, all right? So they go to the corner store, and they're like, they go up the counter. And what do they do? They lay the money in the counter, and they say, can I get a candy bar for this? Like, I, I want a candy bar. Can I get a candy bar? Is, is, do I have enough? And the person at the counter being all Jersey and New York is like, yeah, that's all you need. You know, no, just kidding. Let's, let's say it's an honest person behind the counter and they say, yeah, like it's just one dollar and you've got five. Or and and they say something along those lines, like the kid, you're like, yeah, you can get a candy bar for this. So you can, like you have enough. And so the kid then would be like, what they, is their response? They, what do they do? They're like, oh, great. Well, I'll go get one candy bar. No, 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 no. That's not where their minds go. They say, yeah, you've got enough. Well, then they know I have enough. Well, okay, how many candy bars? This is the next question, right? Can I get for this $5 bill? That's where they go, right? It's not just, oh, okay, the first question is, do I have enough? I do. Okay, great. Well, then how much can I get out of this? Now, who? this is what happens, right? You're following me? This is the scenario that would happen. I don't have the real story in my life. I probably did this many times in different ways. But that's what would happen. How many, like you can get five, I can get five. Okay. They're gonna maximize what they had. Get everything out of this. They're gonna find out how much we go to the limit. This is what we like as a kid, they're gonna they're gonna how much can I get? How much candy do I get out of this allowance money, whatever it may be? And the interesting thing is as adults, this really just doesn't change, right? <laughs> You know, how much, oh, I got a paycheck, I got a raise. All right, great. Well, how much apartment can I get out of this? How much car can I get out of this money? Or, you know, like how many, you know, what can I do for my clothing budget? Or, you know, how much phone can I get out of this? What can I leverage that I now have to even make this greater? We start off as kids doing this. And it really doesn't change for us as adults. <clears throat> and so how do we, where do you put a guardrail in and why do you even need a guardrail with money and, and why is this important? Well, it's, it's really interesting because this, this conversation can at times feel uncomfortable. But th- I want you to understand and I want to challenge you to lean in today, no matter where you may be in your life. Whether you're just beginning out in your career or you've been doing this for a while or wherever, you know, wherever that's going. The fascinating thing is Jesus, Jesus himself actually talked a lot about money. <clears throat> so here's one significant statement that he said, and he's teaching. And this is huge if we really understand the depth of this. <clears throat> this is found in Matthew 6, and Matthew's written account of Jesus' life. And Jesus is speaking here, and he says, No one can serve two masters. <clears throat> he says, Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now I don't know if you've ever experienced this. If you've had like two managers, and there's if you've ever got two people, one of them is going to do it in a way that you like, and then you gravitate towards them. If you've ever played sports and you've got like several coaches on the team. There's that one coach that does it right. And so, like, if you get assigned to the other one that day, you're like, oh, man, I don't get that one. Like, I've done that with my own kids. Like, the coaches on the team, and they, they break out. I'm like, no, man, he's not going to learn as much today. Like, you just gravitate to the one that, that you think works best. And so you're like, that's what happens. We just do this and everything. So that's what Jesus is saying. He says, so he re-irritates this again. He says, no one can serve two masters. Well, what's he talking about? And then he says this. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now that's an interesting phrase because those two words uh, usually like brings tension, right? God and money. And what has typically happened with churches is like, we believe in God, so give us all your money, right? Like, like that's usually how we, but, but just think about this in this way. If Jesus is teaching about this, we believe that Jesus is the son of God, that God exists. And if God is, if God is real, if God is, 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 is the maker of the universe, God is who God is, then number one, he doesn't need your money right we can just kind of be like yeah that, that makes sense like if he knows where all the money is he knows where like the material goods are like there's places that he's like yeah you guys haven't discovered this yet and and you know there's all these different things that you could do and uh, you know so like he gets it like god doesn't need our money so then how well, how is he instructing us or think about it this way if you you know if you if money's important for you and how to, to grow it and if you're like learning how to invest it, like what, what would be the best thing to do what what well, if it's if it's important to you then you seek out advice you listen to podcasts you watch you know d- different TV shows you you see who like you like you follow Warren Buffett on Instagram I don't know if Warren Buffett is on Instagram maybe Twitter I don't know, you guys can tell me. Some of you are like, you gotta be following him. Are you kidding? Like so, but you know, or you read his articles because like that's what people do, because he's one of the people that, that has been doing it so well for so long. And so you've seeked that out. Well, if if God is speaking about money, if God understands us and knows more than we ever could, and he talked about money, wouldn't you want to know what he said? <clears throat> and it's fascinating what he says. And so this is what's happening. Like this is literally what we have. So you should know this. He says you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. What he's talking about is that keyword masters. Who is mastering you? Who is your master? And so the question for us, and this is the first big thing for you to know today, is that is to know do, do we have money or does money have us? That's what's going on here. You may think, oh. Oh, I've got money. I mean, you've got money in your bank account right now. Some of you are like, it's, 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 I wouldn't call that money, but it's there. Like, but you may have a lot. Like, you've got investments. You kind of know. And whether you track it weekly, daily, hourly, I don't know. But, like, do you have that money or does the money have you? This isn't a question about how much. Because this question pertains whether you've got a little or you've got a lot, and God isn't against money. We talked about this. We we had a conversation about this last fall, and we, so we talked about how he appointed some of his followers to be rich, to be wealthy, and some of them to be poor. You have you have all kinds of people like Job and Solomon in the Old Testament, some of the wealthiest people on the planet. Whether you got the Apostle Paul, who made tents for a living to get. By, as you serve God. Some of us are, have been gifted in making money, and it's something that is, is a gift from God. And so God's calling on us and His work in our lives. It's really about His work in you. And so if you have money, money then is a gift. It's a gift from God. And so does money have you, or do you have money? Who is your master. And so to help us understand how important this is and to understand the depth of this, I want to I share this from maybe, as maybe a different perspective. I want to look at someone in the scriptures who followed God and who was wealthy. What did he do with his life? Like he had a ton of money. And so I want to look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an amazing uh, chapter of scripture and, and so to understand quickly what's going on in Nehemiah to help us understand this is, is the, the nation of Israel uh, was you know, called to follow God and he says, if you follow me, I'm going to do these things and but if you turn away from me that you know there're consequences and they 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 turned away from him they just and God was very patient with him but then he finally had to discipline him and he told them what would happen and it happened like they just were awful rebellious all these different things and so he allowed them to be conquered by the Babylonians and they were took captive and they were captives for years and so but he promised that they could go back and so Nehemiah found out about, about Jerusalem and how it was it was in ruins and he heard about the wall and everything that was all crumbled down and he was so, he, he wept. And what's fascinating is, is, is in captivity, he had done well. And he was actually a right-hand man to the king. It said he was cupbearer to the king. And so he had a very prominent role. And he was so sad about this. The king knew him so well that he noticed he was sad. He was like, what's going on? And so this is, he'd stepped out of faith because he could have been killed. But he's like, listen, my home country is destroyed and I, I want to go back and build it. And the king's like, well, let's, let's do it. And God uses this king, doesn't believe in God at all, and he just pours out upon him. He gives him security. He gives him a letter of protection. He gives him all kinds of goods to go back. He pours out upon him resources to go and accomplish this. And so Nehemiah goes back and he leads his people to go back and rebuild the wall. And they did it in an amazing way. They actually, when they got to the work of the wall, he, he, he did it so well and they were so well organized, they did it in 52 days. It was a massive thing, from the ground up, everything. And so it's a great book to read about for leadership purposes. But anyway, that is the scenario. And, and so Nehemiah, in writing about this, he, he suddenly takes a moment to just talk about, he gives us a picture into how he led. And so this is found in Nehemiah 5, and he says this. He says, for the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, which is interesting. When you're reading this, this is the first time that people know. Oh, he was governor. Interesting. He says, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. And what I love about all this, there's so many historical details in Nehemiah. This is a specific place in time. This is a real part of history that can be verified and marked out. So they're very specific in their dates, even in their genealogies. It's amazing. So he says, I didn't take, nor my officials, the people that I led, drew on our official food allowance. They were allowed by their status to take food from the people. He says, the former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine besides 40 pieces of silver, which was apparently what they were paid, like, like their salary. So even their assistants took advantage of the people. And then he says this huge statement. He says, but because I feared God, I did not act that way. So what did he do? I love this. He says, I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. And I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from, all, from the other lands. It's such a great picture, by the way, of what his duties were, his task, like what he decided to do as a leader. Anyway, so many good principles there I can't go into. But anyway, the privi- he, says, he continues, the provisions I paid for each day, and he's like, this is what I did. Like this is what he was buying from the market each day. It was insane. He says, was one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. He says, every 10 days, we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Wow. Just, just a, a sidebar there. Like, man, I, let me come work for you, Nehemiah. This is great. Like, I, I'll do whatever. You know, I'll be an intern at whatever level. Um, he's, he's doing it right. I love this. This is great. Anyway, he says, yet I refuse to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy Burden, And so in previous governors of this, this land would abuse their authority. And they had this right, and he had the right, but he didn't exert it. He understood. The people had just come back. They're living out in open land, and then they're sacrificing that to help rebuild the wall. It's really interesting. Some people like had to take loans from their other friends and family or neighbors Because they couldn't farm because they were rebuilding the wall. He says they already carried a heavy burden. He understood this. He was a just leader. He was a generous leader. But he was wealthy too. And that was okay. And it's a great picture. And then he says this phrase. He says, remember, O God, all that I have done for these people. And bless me for it. He Who's was revealing his sacrifice and how he engaged God. And God did. I mean, we're talking about him even now. It's amazing. So it's interesting. So Nehemiah had wealth, and he had been blessed by God. So does this mean that, that put it, if you put God first in your life, if you're, if you're devoted to him, does that make you wealthy? Is that what's going to happen? Is that what you want to hear today? And the answer to that is No. <laughs> no. Because there are many other people, including people that were under his leadership, that did the same thing, were devoted to God, and they were not wealthy. And I just gave other examples, like the Apostle Paul. You could look at many examples in the world. That's not what this means. It's a picture of where our heart is, where our priorities are. And this is so important. So what do we typically do when we get money? What's our our natural bent is is we want more. Just remember the kid with a $5 bill at the counter, right? Like, this is who we are at the heart of who we are. Like, we just want to say, how much can I get out of it? We consume it all. You get a paycheck, or like, we know what our salary is. Okay, what can I do with this? How much can I get out of this? We consume everything that we have. And I've watched so many friends do this. We're like they've owned homes in our city, or in New York, or whatever it may be, and then all of a sudden it, it doubles in value, or maybe it even quadruples in value. And and you would think, man, they've 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 arrived at such a great place. They should be happy. They should like they should be good with like you own a home, you have the ability to do that in a place like. But then I see them be miserable. And the question then in that moment is, how can I leverage this for even more? Look at this. Now our home has more value. We can actually increase our debt. And I've watched friends. Not everybody does this, but I've watched friends leverage their debt. Go into being credit card debt and all these other things when they have substantial salaries, dual income, and they look and they see, how much more could I get out of this? And they go on this journey, and this journey never's in. It's a journey to, be, to find peace, to find acceptance, to, buy, to find status. The journey never ends. There's nothing wrong with having money. That's not what the conversation is, but money has them. It's like when you're climbing or you, you see, like, if you're out hiking, you're like, oh, we just need to get over that ridge. Like, that's it. And then we'll be able to see everything. And then you finally get, you clamor, you clamber, and you finally get up there. And then you realize it's just a little hill. <laughs> And beyond that ridge, you see all these other ma- like there's a huge mountain up behind it, and you just couldn't see it because it was the ridge was so close to you. And this happens to us in life where we say, if I just get to this place, this plateau, I can be like this person that I see doing it, and they're just achieving it. And you get to this spot and you suddenly you realize the clearing, there's all these other people that are doing it just like that, and you're like, Whoa, and then you don't even realize, but it just keeps going, it keeps going. Or maybe you know, there's a project work at your office, and everybody's like, We just got to get through this deadline. We'll just all work a little harder and we all pour in, and then you finally accomplish it, and then you think you're gonna celebrate, and then maybe they're like send an email. This is great, we did it, but we just found out there's another account, and this is we gotta this is urgent. Like if we don't get this now, so we gotta keep going. And and there's this constant pressure to consume it all to get to the spot, and that never ends. And what we have is we're not actually free. There's no peace in these moments. So our need for a guardrail financially is is more than it is about a plan. It reveals a deeper issue going on in us. The better, you think that The better you, the next step, the next level is what's gonna get you there. But that's a trap. And there's nothing wrong with becoming a better you. You should. It's good to set goals. And and that's something that I do. And guardrails will will help you do that, absolutely. But when that is the ultimate, when that is the goal, it's a trap because you'll never get there. It's just there's another mountain. What's interesting is, when Jesus is speaking, he, he talked about a, a, the same scenario. And what led into this is really interesting. So he has these disciples, and there were 12 that were, that were very close to him that he poured into. And so one day, two of the 12, James and John, come to Jesus with their mom and this is, this is true. They come together, and, and, and they're like, Jesus, When we know one day, you're, we believe you're Messiah. One day you're going to come, and you're going to establish a new kingdom. <clears throat> and so we want to be your, at your right and your left. And so they come with her mom, and I think that's fascinating. Maybe they're too scared, I don't know, to talk to them about this. She's like, you're going to talk about this? I mean, we've been talking about this. You're going to say this today. And so she brings them there, and, and they're like, we want to know who, who can be, who's going to be in the right who's going to be in the left. And they do this in front of the others. And it says the others were like, they were, like, they were indignant, is what it says. They want to know how they can be at the top. Whenever this kingdom happens, we want to be the people. Like, it's just this thing in us to want to be right. So what does Jesus say? So he responds to them. He says, Everybody's mad, like they're, and they're like, is he going to grant them this? What, is, what does it say? So Jesus says this. This is found in Mark 10. He says, so Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. This is just like Nehemiah was talking about. The former governors and the former others that were there, they just took whatever they could. They, they oppressed the people because of their authority. And that's what James and John were like, they weren't in there yet. And so this is what's interesting to me, is we get this, right? We see this happening now. I, I found, it was fascinating this week, I saw a headline, and I haven't looked into it, I haven't read about it, so just so you know, so I don't know the politics behind this, but but I saw the headline that read, like, there's apparently, they're trying to introduce a new bill in Congress to, for people, they can't trade stocks. That was the headline, I don't know the details of it. But it made me laugh, because, like, they they passed this bill in some form a while ago not not that long ago maybe 10 years i don't know uh, a couple administrations ago where they were not allowed to do insider trading anymore and if you don't know this like congress could do insider trading so for the rest of us when we if we do insider trading you go to jail like it's a crime but congress could do it and they did it so they had this authority to 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 be able to trade. They had insider information because they're leading these committees and talking to these institutions and setting rules for banks, and they would take that knowledge and increase their wealth. And this is across the political spectrum. So Republicans were doing this and Democrats were doing this. When they got the position of power, they leveraged it. And what normally would be illegal just to increase, increase insane wealth, insane wealth. And you and I would be like, we would never do this But James and John showed that we would. Why is is it about they got this huge salary? Many people that get into the, the leadership have incredible wealth because they had the money to run for it and fund it, number one. How is it, is that not enough? What is going on in us that we have to increase our wealth so much more? So when there is no God, When there is no God, something else becomes a God. Something else has to take that place. See, there's something in you that that needs a God in your life. And it's fascinating, it's something to think about. If God doesn't exist, then why are we not satisfied without Him? If there isn't a God in this world, then why are we not satisfied? without him. So if money defines you, it takes root in your heart. And Jesus shared this. So de- so deep. It takes root in your heart. And so you will do whatever it takes if that's true. Because if you don't, you have no identity. You have no identity. Who you are is gone. In that moment, you cease. And so it's never enough. There's always a bigger mountain. There's always someone else. You suddenly see things. You get to one level and you see more of what could exist. And this is true for every area, not just money, because money for many times represents other things. Your position, taking a, take a, a raise at work or getting it to a certain level. And if, you, if, if your job and, and the success there defines you, then if you have to compromise to get the promotion. And, and maybe in the past we say, I would never do that. But when you get into that moment, because it is your God, because it defines you, if you don't take this stuff, you will lose you. And so you begin to look at it differently. And we are, we, are, we are under a law. We are under some type of pressure. You're not really free. But when God is our identity, when we have a God, we know that we are secure. We know that we have an attorney and we are going to be okay. It changes everything. And that's where this goes to. God is first in our life. So Jesus is speaking. He says, You know, he says, Those, you see the rulers, they lord it over you. And then he says this He says, But among you it will be different. Among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man, that's what he talked about himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. I love this. The God of the universe came down to us not to be served, even though he deserved it, but to serve. It's this upside-down economy. And then for Nehemiah, what did he say? He said, even... Their assistance. Talking about the the rulers, he said they took advantage of the people. Then he says this, but because I feared God, I did not act this way. Wouldn't you love to have a, a leader like Nehemiah? What's interesting is his actions came from his heart. His actions came from his heart, where his heart was determined the steps that he took in his life. It's how he made those decisions. And Nehemiah was marked by generosity. It was okay for him to pay for these things. I love it. Such a great picture. His money was not just for him, and he knew that. He knew that it was a gift from God. His money was for God, and his money was for others. And this is key. He understood where his money came from. He feared God. That was the pinnacle, the, the purpose, the principle of his life. And that, that, that informed everything around Where his heart was, and we can put this up. It's a couple of slides away if you want to. Where his heart was determined the actions of his life. He was marked by generosity. His money was not for him. Just for him, it was for God and for others. This is being freed up with your money. It impacted significantly the economy around him. So instead of taking from people, he's actually buying from them daily. And then God used it for a purpose. He was able to build in the people to, to, to serve his leaders and to throw banquets with them. And yeah, have some great parties, lots of great wine. I mean, I love this. Like, it's such a cool thing. It's a great picture. And we think in our own lives, if we just had, and you fill in the blank, right? If I just had more money, I would, then I could give it because then I would have breathing room. We think if I just had more time, then I can use my time. Then I'll have some space. Like if I get to a certain level, then I'll have less to do. If I just had better giftings or if I was just better trained and I I just need some time to to, to develop myself in my profession or work or as a parent or whatever it may be, then I would make an impact. Then I'll be able to, to serve others and do things. And this is the lie. I've I've experienced this. How do I know this? Because I've said all these things. When it comes to work, I going to just get through this project. Then I'm going to free up time. But all I've done is built something else that causes more time to happen. It's crazy. These all are a lie. The truth is money is a reflection of your heart. Time spent is a reflection of your heart how you use your gifts, how you use your abilities and your talents is a reflection of your heart. You'll never be free until God is at first. You have an identity other than the money, results, a time. So the question is, are you really free? And it's why we should consider becoming a follower of Christ. Our need for another God is a proof of our sinful condition and the need of a Savior. So, what is the answer? We'll end with this, with this verse, and then application. Matthew six thirty three. This is what Jesus said. He says, "No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money." Then He says, Matthew six thirty three. But seek first. His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's our guardrail. We seek first His kingdom. That's what Nehemiah said, but I feared, because I feared God, I didn't do these things. He lived differently. If you're mastered by money, if money is your God, this is what your list looks like. You live first. You consume it all. You go after everything you can, and then you save. And you invest and you do all these different things, and saving is good. Spending your money and doing all the things, like, that's good, right? But you live first. You go for it. You consume it all, save and then you give whatever's left. And there's usually not much left. Usually you're in debt, and the money is mastering you. But when you are the master of your money, this is the, what it looks like. You give first, you save second, and you live on the rest. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We say, God, you are first. In my own life, I, co- I commit a percentage, and I encourage you to live your life with a plan, and you need to have percentages based. My wife and I, every year, we set a year budget, and then a, we, we follow a monthly one. Where we, we set a percentage. We know what we're going to give. We give to God first, which we give through the church. And then we have a percentage that we give to other organizations. We have a plan for doing that. We set some money aside just to give spontaneously throughout the year. And then we save. We have a savings plan. And then we live on the rest. So who is your master? You cannot serve by God. You should consider becoming a follower of Christ. For these reasons, but Christ follower today, if you're listening, who is first in your time, your talent, and in your treasure? You say, well, this is just a season. That's a lie. Your heart is just being betrayed. You are not free. These words are words of life that can lead you to joy. Seek first his kingdom. This conversation is from the maker of us all. How can you engage him? Some of the most joyful people are the ones who are most generous because they've been freed, and it's fun. You were invited into this this kind of life. Let's set guardrails. As you think about this year, what is your plan? Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your good words to us. I pray that we would learn to trust your heart. The greatest podcaster of them all, the deepest wisdom that we could find, I pray that we would discover the freedom of you as our master in everything. We thank you, Jesus, and ask this all in your name. Amen.